0: It's going to take a while to get used to that, but <laughs> praise the Lord for technology. The children are dismissed for the uh, practice, for the musical this morning. <clears throat> okay, I think it's done. The rest of you, please open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. And as we continue our study, our investigation into Luke's gospel, I just want to remind you where we've come. We, we looked at the opening. Luke is a historian. He's checked his sources. And he's writing his gospel, we saw in verse 4 of chapter 1, to produce certainty, certitude, confidence, and the historical reliability of the... Record of events that he lays out. We see that specifically in verse 4. He put an orderly account for Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. If you've read our messenger um, article this month i made the point that christianity is not first and foremost a philosophy or way of living or ethic or something that gives meaning to life christianity first and foremost is a claim that god has invaded space and time that god has done things and that what god has done and what we make of the things that he has done are crucial critical for the salvation of men, for the eternal destinies of people. Now, there's an ethic that comes along with it. There's a hope that comes along with it. But as the Apostle Paul says, if the dead are not raised, if Christ has not been raised, if he's just only raised in your heart and my heart, then we of all men are the most to be pitied. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so these, these events that we're looking at are crucial, are critical. They're not just our, our story. They're either true history Or they're worthless. And so the story starts with with Gabriel appearing to two unlikely parents. First, we saw Gabriel appear in the temple. There's a great contrast in the temple, in the holy place to Zechariah, an old-aged barren couple. And he appears and he announces a miracle child. The forerunner. The greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John the baptizer. Immersing John. And then Gabriel appeared, sort of go from one end of the spectrum, old and barren, to young and unmarried, a teenager, Mary, and he announces to her that she will conceive and give birth to the Son of the Most High. We looked at that last week. Now the narrative has those two mothers, the, the old barren woman, the young unmarried woman, come together. And something amazing happens. The, the children in utero are participating in this narrative. It is an amazing testimony to the power of God. It's an amazing testimony to the fulfillment of the promise. As you look at Mary visits Elizabeth. Now let's just read. We're going to read verses 39 to 45. It's what we're going to look at today. Really, this, this this narrative goes all the way through verse 56. Because what's going to happen is Mary's going to come visit Elizabeth. Something's going to happen. Baby's going to leap. Mary's, Elizabeth's going to be filled with the Spirit. Then Elizabeth will speak prophetically. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And then Mary responds with her own speech, which is often called the Magnificat, and a truly astounding, astounding statement that we'll look at next week. And by the way, just in preparation for that, I'd, I'd recommend for those of you who are interested, go and read 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, because and, Mary's, Magnificat. her response has a tremendous amount of similarities to Hannah's song of praise when she she receives conception of Samuel. But we'll look at that next week. So this week, we're looking at Mary and Elizabeth coming together, the response of the baby, the response of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's speech to Mary. And next week, we'll finish this narrative chunk with Mary's response. So that's what we're looking at. Mary visits Elizabeth. Let's read verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary went, arose, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord... Should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we're going to look at this narrative in, in, in two chunks. First, the events, what happens, and that's in verses 39 to 41. Mary's greeting, it culminates with Mary's greeting. And then the rest of the narrative is really Elizabeth's song, Elizabeth's response, what she has to say, her prophetic utterance, which then is capped off with next week's text, Mary's response to that. So That's how this fits together. But let's just look at what happens first. And what we see is Mary travels with haste to see her cousin. Now, she's just been told by Gabriel that the sign to confirm the promise of her supernatural pregnancy is gonna be the pregnancy of her cousin Elizabeth. Um, And you see that there in verse 36 of chapter one. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. So this is the very next thing. She's just heard from the angel of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Because remember, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, was struck mute. And the text tells us that Elizabeth herself hid herself away. We're not sure entirely why. But her pregnancy has not become big public knowledge. Not at this point. Certainly hasn't reached Mary. So Mary gets this news from Gabriel and immediately gets up with haste, travels to the hill country, to a town in Judea. We don't even know what town, just a town in Judea. Maybe this took days, even weeks. But she arose, immediately went with haste, so we're still in that sixth month of pregnancy. And as she entered the house, verse 40, she greets, we don't even know what she says, she gives her a greeting. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And then what we get is two responses to this greeting. So Mary gets up, she travels, she goes with haste to see her cousin, to see this other thing that God is doing, perhaps in her joy to celebrate with Elizabeth, perhaps thinking, I want to see what else God is doing. We don't know. But she's excited by the news of the angel. She enters the house of Zechariah. She greets Elizabeth. And in response to that greeting, two things happen. The baby jumps, leaped, in her, in Elizabeth's womb, in, the baby in utero, the baby John the Baptist. It's, this is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. The baby responds, hears Mary's voice, and leaps, and then. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now, Luke records that detail because Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit is the only explanation that we can come up with for how she's able to know the things she knows and say the things she says. So Luke tells us before she even speaks... Here's a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. And understand that the Old Covenant, Holy Spirit is primarily given to equip for ministry, for service. John the Baptist, we were told, would be filled with the Spirit from the womb. The concept being, from the womb, he's set apart for service, set apart for ministry. Notice he's going to begin his ministry and service here. It's an amazing, amazing text. Serving the Lord in utero. We wonder today whether, whether these, these are people or not. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that later in this message, sorry. It's just a fascinating, fascinating text. But we are going to spend the, the bulk of our time now looking at Elizabeth as she makes sense of. That, that's the events. It's really simple. Like What happens in the narrative? A woman gets up, she makes a trip, she enters a house, she says hi. There's a response. But there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Now notice that Elizabeth's song, and it really is kind of a poetic either song or piece of poetry, you can even see in the English, it doesn't come through as well in the English, the the parallelism, there's two statements of blessedness that open it. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. It closes, again, blessed is she who believed. There's there's a a meter, there's a parallelism, there's, there's there's a form, a poetic form here. Now, even though my Bible doesn't put what she says in poetic meter, it certainly does Mary's response. Luke records again another another sign of the detail and the precision of his research. He he not only knows what happened, he knows what people said. He's got direct quotes. This is the first of a number of songs. Mary's response is in poetic form. And then Zechariah's prophecy is in poetic form. Another song. So we get the song of Elizabeth, the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah, and of course we get the song of the angels at Jesus' birth. There's a lot of poetic narratives here. And then finally, when Jesus is presented at the temple, we get the song of, his name is escaping me, Simeon, Simeon's song. So there's five songs in the opening two chapters of Luke. It's going to be a musical, you know? No, there's there's five songs here, and this is the first of them. The first poetic utterance, and it comes to the lips of Elizabeth. Again, we'd said that women take a large role in Luke's gospel. He's he's not just telling us this happened. He's telling us what she said, and of course, that means God wants us to know what she said, and we're, we're to learn from what she says. So let's take a look at Elizabeth's song. This isn't sung softly. This is exclaimed. This is almost shouted out. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, exclaimed with a loud cry. What, what, does, she, what does she say? First, she extols the blessedness of Mary... And her child. She extols the blessedness of Mary and her child. We see that in verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, the word used twice there for blessed primarily has the notion of favor, having received favor, favored of the Lord. It's actually a different word than what's used in 45. And so, what Elizabeth is saying is, is, Mary and her child are recipients of the Lord's favor. And it's important to note, because again, like I said last week, we can struggle with this notion because Roman Catholicism so elevates Mary to a point where they they encourage us to homage her, to revere her, to pray to her. We can sometimes go the other extent and and sort of try to ignore her and really not make much of her. And Elizabeth here, Mary is highly favored. She has received God's favor. She, She has received God's grace. Now notice she's not a source of favor. She's not a reservoir. Last week we saw she's not a reservoir of grace. She's a recipient of grace. Here, she's not a bestower of favor. She's a recipient of favor. She is blessed. She has received God's blessing. She is favored by the Lord. Also notice, blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is the one of whom God would say, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. The Lord Jesus, a recipient, received the favor of his father. Absolutely. Notice something else that that you you can miss here. She doesn't say, blessed are you among women and blessed will be the fruit of your womb. What does she say? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What does that mean? That means that somewhere between the announcement of the angel a few verses earlier and here, the prophecy has been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come upon her. The power of the Most High has overshadowed her and she has conceived. That means the Lord Jesus Christ in utero is. At this point in the text, the second member of the Trinity, the the eternal Son of God, has entered already into time and space. He's taken on flesh and within her womb, to to use Michael Card's expression, is the holy embryo. Just, Just wrap your mind around that. God eternal is now an embryo, a couple weeks old in, in the womb of this peasant girl. John the Baptist is a, is, 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 a viable, is a viable child. He's passed the six-month mark here, but Lord Jesus is present. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The, the promise Gabriel made has already been fulfilled. It's a mystery. The eternal God has entered into time and space. He's here. The Messiah is present in this text. Jesus is is present in this text. He's here. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. We're going to see a little bit later that that's the precise reason why the child jumps within her. So Mary extols, Elizabeth extols the blessedness of Mary. And why is she blessed? Why is she favored? Because she gets to carry the divine child because she gets the honor and the favor given to her that she can become the mother of God, incarnate. Blessedness of the child. Baby is, not the baby will be, baby is. Secondly, she expresses wonder at Mary's presence. So her first statement is this double blessing. Blessed are you, among woman. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then, sort of shock and almost confusion, and why is this granted to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. And notice, notice here that point one, Elizabeth demonstrates true and genuine humility. True and genuine humility. Just as Mary, when she was told that God was with her, didn't respond by saying, well, of course he is. I'm a pretty wonderful person. My self-esteem is, is off the charts. Rather, Mary's troubled. She's, why, why, would, why would God do this to me? Elizabeth here has, has somehow figured out that she's had a supernatural baby. She's already praised God at the end of the, of the narrative cycle with Zechariah. She's going to say some things that evidence some supernatural insight. She she knows something's up. It's possible that Zechariah has communicated more to her. We don't know. He's communicating through boards, writing things. We don't know how much of what she knows, but she knows something's afoot. She knows that something unique is happening. She knows that a miracle and special child is coming into the world through her. She knows that her husband has had some sort of encounter in the holy place. You could think that Elizabeth could think she's pretty important. She is pretty important. She takes up a, a big chunk of scripture. And here comes her teenage cousin. And Elizabeth is in awe and wonder that she would be so honored. That's humility. She's not wrestling with, why did you come to steal my glory? Can't I at least have some excitement? No, she's, why, why do I get to receive this honor? She's not thinking about her privilege. She's not thinking about her right. She's not thinking about her glory. Rather, in true humility, in true humility, she is asking, why do I get this honor? We also see something else. She demonstrates her genuine humility, but she reveals her inspired theology. She reveals her inspired theology, and I notice this. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's interesting you realize Elizabeth is the first person to confess Jesus is Lord? Elizabeth is the first person ever to confess that Jesus is Lord. Baby's present. A few days, weeks old in the womb of Mary. The incarnation has happened. And here, off the lips of Elizabeth, she's referring to the child as my Lord remarkable because of the ministry of john the baptist but we'll get to that notice what's happened the baby does something as a response the mother's filled with the spirit the mother confesses christ jesus as lord it's remarkable that term my lord is a reference to psalm 110 the psalm about jesus the messiah and melchizedek that begins the lord said to my lord Sit at my right hand until I make your, my enemies your footstool. Now, this theme of my Lord, that phrase only occurs one other time in Luke. It's at the end of the book. Turn over there, not to chapter 22, but actually to chapter 20, Luke chapter 20. Jesus, this is, this is how a good writer sets up foreshadowing and it highlights things that come later. On the lips of Elizabeth, my Lord, and that little phrase sits dormant for 19 chapters until Jesus is being questioned about his authority and is being questioned about who he is. And in Luke chapter 20, verse 41 and 42, but they said to him, how can they say that But he said to them, I'm sorry, he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And hearing all this, the people, all these, and hearing, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes, now, Jesus makes the point from that exact text that if David calls his descendant Lord, then the Messiah is greater than simply being a Davidic descendant. And here on the lips of Elizabeth, referencing Psalm 110, she calls the child in utero, my Lord. She, she did, how would she even know that Mary's pregnant? Mary, remember, got up and made haste. Now, maybe it took a couple of days or even weeks to travel, but... Not enough time for her to be showing. Not enough time for any word to get out. No, Luke's already told us at the end of verse 41, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. The explanation for her supernatural, her inspired theology is already given to us. She's, she's able to know this because the Holy Spirit is filled and is controlling her. And so she utters the first confession of the lordship of Jesus <laughs> this early in the gospel. I told you, you've got two babies in utero present Two women, it's an amazing text, reveals her inspired theology. And then she explains the reaction of the baby. She explains the reaction of the baby. Four, verse 44, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this, this is to confirm and to fulfill what Gabriel had said Zechariah, verse 15. Go back to verse 15 chapter 1. Speaking of this child of Elizabeth, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The angel Gabriel said, from the womb, this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is evidence of that filling. The Holy Spirit indwelling a baby in utero. A baby in utero. Making morally significant actions. Think about that. Is, Is this pleasing to God, the rejoicing of this baby? This is not a morally insignificant action. This is an action that brings glory to God. This is an action of a heart that loves God. You ever consider the children in utero, apparently? And I know know that John the Baptist breaks all the rules, but apparently children in utero are capable of morally significant action. At least John here is. Just astounding. He's blanks here. He's filled with the spirit and with joy. Filled with the spirit, and he's filled with joy. The baby in the womb leaped for joy. Children in the utero can be filled with joy, and when they are harvested and attacked, they can be filled with terror, and pain, and anguish. Think about it the capacity for joy implies the capacity for other emotions. Um, it's, not, it's not by any means the main point of this text, but if you don't see the sanctity of human life here, as a Christian, I don't know where you're going to see it. <laughs> a, a, an embryonic child is present and is Lord, not will be Lord, kind a clump of fetal material. This is a baby. Another baby is filled with the Holy Spirit, performing prophetic ministry, rejoicing at the Messiah, all in a time when in our country it would be legal to terminate. We can understand perhaps how unbelievers can can wrestle with the question of are these children or not. As Christians who submit our minds to Scripture, there there can be no question. Elizabeth is marveling that her Lord, present in the womb of Mary, is present. John the Baptist is performing ministry. In utero, as Christians, let us settle this issue once and for all. God, God has sanctified. The Holy Spirit coming upon John in the womb has sanctified the unborn. God can use them for ministry. Let us sanctify them as well. Let there be no confusion among the people of God on this issue. Okay. That was, that's in addition to the message. Okay. Um, okay. John is filled with the spirit and with joy. I want to read a quote by Philip Ryken on this that, that just I thought was well said. Jesus was not yet viable, invisible in his mother's womb, yet John knew him to be the son of God. Later, when Jesus began his public ministry, John would testify that his joy had become complete in John 3.29. Here is the beginning of that joy. His joy began while he was still in his mother's womb. Remember that in John 3? John the Baptist, the witness, says, my joy, the bridegroom is present. Bridegroom is present. My joy is complete. His joy is completed. The end of his ministry, his joy begins here. Responding to the invisible, not yet viable child in Mary's womb. The coming of Christ is a thing that makes a person leap for joy. This was true for John and also for anyone who comes to faith in Christ. By the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior from sin. We recognize Him, we rejoice in Him, leaping for joy, for our salvation. It's a good word. John is filled with the Spirit, with joy. We also notice here John begins his prophetic ministry. John begins his prophetic ministry. This, is, this just, again, goes back to what the angel Gabriel said, that he would be set apart for ministry by not touching wine all this life, and he'd be equipped for ministry from the womb. And here his ministry begins. Think about it. The baby jumps. The mother responds and is filled with the Spirit, and out of her mouth comes a confession. The Lordship of the baby. Tur- turn to John's gospel real fast. We-, we focus on John as the baptizer, as the immerser, as dunking John, as I sometimes call him playfully. But there's another way to look at his ministry. In John's gospel, John the Apostle, all these Johns, I know can get confusing, but in John's gospel, the emphasis on The baptizer is not on his baptizing, it's it's something else. And you, you know the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Jump down to verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Then jump down to verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent spies and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, "Who are you?" He confessed and did not deny but confessed, "I am not the Christ." Do you notice the emphasis on John's ministry? He came as a witness and he witnessed and he's the one who witnessed, "He is the Christ." He witnessed and confessed, "I am not the Christ." He's the Christ. John is a witness. John is a a signpost pointing again and again and again to Jesus so that in John chapter 1 verse 29, when Jesus has returned from the wilderness, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And again in verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. One of the main emphases, if not the main emphases, of John's ministry was to be a witness, to be a signpost, to testify to who that one was. Back in Luke's gospel in chapter 1, he has already begun that ministry in the womb. Why is it that Elizabeth confesses that he is Lord? Because the baby leaped for joy. John is testifying through a leap of joy. The mother rightly interprets. He has already begun. He is already turning the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It's just amazing. God God can use children in utero for for service. They can testify to who he is. Out Out of the mouths of babes, he has ordained praise. Just truly amazing. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And finally, Elizabeth expounds the blessedness of Mary's faith. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now, I said before, this is a different word for blessed than used twice in verse 42. The emphasis here is on happiness or the blessed state. What a happy condition to be in. This is, this is when Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in heart, blessed are the meek. Same word. It's, it's what's translated regularly from the Old Testament wisdom literature. Psalm 1, blessed is the man. And what it's saying is the happy, favored condition. How happy to be the one. How blessed to be is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment that was spoken to her from the Lord. I can't help but wonder if Zechariah overheard. He didn't receive that blessing. He doubted. He wanted proof. He was given a sign. Okay, you want proof? You can't talk. Mary, on the other hand, believes. And here, Elizabeth expounds and extols the blessedness of believing. Now, Mary truly, truly is put forward for us as a model, a model of faith, a model of faithfulness and humility. Let, let's give her the honor and the recognition she deserves. We're told in Hebrews to, to consider those who've gone before us, to imitate their faith. There's plenty to imitate for Mary here. Let there be no misunderstanding. She's a recipient of Grace, not a wellspring of grace. She's a recipient of favor, not a bestower of favor. She absolutely is a model of faith. We could learn a lot from her humble, faithful response. And, and Elizabeth expounds and praises the blessedness of believing that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You can't also help but think that Luke is including this in part as a not-so-subtle hint to... Theophilus. Theophilus, I'm writing these things. So that you might be certain of what took place. And one of the things that took place is this woman said, How blessed is it to believe what God has said? And I think Theophilus is probably picking up on it. Well, that's that's as far as we're to get in the narrative. This week, I, I want to draw three points out before we close. Don't, don't close your Bibles up yet. Because we, we, we will next week look at Mary's response. And her response is astounding. I mean, she knows her Bible. In fact, out of out of all three of these people, she's the only one not said at the moment to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she knows her Bible. She knows first Samuel. But I want I want to look at three points from this, the three obvious points. As you think through this, you can sometimes lose the forest for the trees. What's what's the big picture point of this whole section in Luke there's there's one big point it's Jesus is superior Jesus is superior in fact you could say Jesus is supreme we've seen that as much as John the Baptist has a prophetic pedigree just as the prophet Samuel was born to a barren couple so John the Baptist born to a barren couple miracle birth Okay, there isn't precedent. There is Old Testament antecedent. There has never been a virgin birth. You see, Jesus' conception is greater. Unless there be any mistake, as the mother of Jesus enters the room with the child in her womb, the mother of John the Baptist gives her homage, praises her faith, expresses wonder at being given the privilege. Being in the same room as the mother of her Lord. Why is the mother of my Lord here? Why has this been given to me? Expresses the joy. John the Baptist already testifying, already pointing, to already rejoicing in the presence of the Christ, his Messiah, his Lord. Jesus is superior. That, that's Luke's main point in all of this, showing these stories of the origins, giving, letting us know. And and John the Baptist's pedigree prophetically is important because he's the one who's going to point initially to Jesus. And we need to know, is he truly a prophet? Yes, he's truly a prophet. That's why this story is included. And here, the mother of the greatest Old Testament prophet confirms and responds even to her child's ministry by affirming the lordship of Christ. Jesus is superior. He is supreme. And by quoting my Lord in Psalm 110, she's saying he's, he's greater than David We'll see by the end of the book, he is greatest of all. He is supreme. He is superior. He is supreme. That, that's Luke's primary point in his ranging his material. Two other points, I think, fall out of this that we can draw some application from. We live in a day and an age where I think there's a lot of confusion over what it means to be filled with the Spirit, what it means to be influenced by the Spirit. And so I want you to see that here, and I think everywhere in Scripture, The Spirit ministers to believers primarily by testifying to and delighting in the Son of God. The Spirit ministers to believers by testifying to and delighting in the Son of God. What is the result? The Spirit filling these people. It's joy in Jesus, is it not? It's a leap of joy. John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit from birth and he hears. The voice of the mother of his Lord and he leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And what does she do? She extols, she confesses with her lips giving praise in a loud voice. This baby in her cousin's womb is her Lord. The Spirit's ministry to believers is fundamentally one of causing delight in, joy in, love for the Son of God. And God. And then leading to praise. Go over to Ephesians real fast. Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we're told... No, it's Ephesians 5. I'm sorry. Ephesians 5, 18. You know this passage. But I want you to notice what follows this passage. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord of your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to another out of reverence for Christ. You know, you you want to know, am I filled with the Spirit? Do you, do you rejoice in your Savior? Do you do you like to praise Him, or do you? How, how do you view the first twenty, thirty minutes of this service as a chore to get through? I don't think you're filled with the Spirit. If you want to praise your Savior, if you're delighting in your Savior, if you feel joy, you want to cry out with a loud voice. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. You might be filled with the Spirit. That, that's the. Here, at least, the primary indication, the result of being filled with the Spirit. Go to Ephesians, add in submitting to one another, being thankful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Self-control. Those are the primary evidences. Now, yeah, yeah, there are. You read your Bible. There are other evidences of the Spirit, sure. These are the primary ones. These are the main ones. Spirit's ministry is primarily one of testifying to and causing delight in. Son of God. In John 16, Jesus getting ready to depart, preparing his disciples on the final night with them. says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In First John, he says one of the evidences of the Spirit is, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh just as Elizabeth did when she was filled with the Spirit, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, does not confess Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So let's, let's not be distracted. Let's not be confused. One of the primary, the primary evidence the Spirit's filling and controlling someone. It's their love, their joy in the Lord. Their desire to praise Him. His praise rolling off their lips. Their desire to love the brethren. That, that's, that's the signs. That's how we know the Spirit of God in us. And finally, I think it was the lesson. Just as the lesson when, when Gabriel speaks to Mary is that nothing is impossible with God. The final beatitude of Elizabeth extounds True blessedness is found in believing God's promises and participating in their fulfillment. Why is Mary blessed? The beginning of the passage, she's blessed because she gets to participate in God's plan of redemption. Why is she blessed? In verse 45, she's blessed because she believed God's promises about his plan of redemption. And and. Why is Luke taking such great pains to research this narrative? It's so that Theophilus might also share in that blessing as he comes to certainty concerning the things that have been taught. At the end of John's gospel, that same blessing is passed on for for us. In John 20, 29, Jesus said, you have believed because you have seen Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's every one of us, I hope. I hope that you have experienced the blessing of believing in God's redemptive promises, believing in his son. And in believing in God's redemptive promises, you get, like Mary, very different way, but still like Mary, to participate in God's redemptive plan. Because to all those who have received, who've turned from their sins, who have trusted the Lord Jesus, they then become participants in God's great rescue plan as we go to the world, as we witness to others, as we get to play some small little part. We're not gonna play Mary's part, but we play some part in the advance of the gospel, in God's kingdom going out, in the glory of His Son being spread to all peoples and nations. So we learn true blessedness is found in believing God's promises and participating in their fulfillment and that remains true for us today. And Luke is clearly putting this forward, calling on us, calling on Theophilus, calling on us that we would believe, that we would be certain, that we would experience the same joy that the baby John experienced, that we would express the same praise that Elizabeth did. That's that's the point. Believe and experience that blessedness. Now, I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to close in prayer. We're going, to, we're going to do that. We are going to praise the Lord with our lips. And you can show me, show each other, show the Lord your fillness with the Spirit as you praise and confess that Jesus is the sweetest name of all. We need the screen to come down. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for... We thank you that you have kept Your promises. We thank You that You have fulfilled Your Word. We thank You that 2,000 years ago, we have come to be certain that 2,000 years ago, Your Son came into this world. That, that He really was the Lord. My Lord. Our Lord. And, and Lord, we, we marvel. We marvel at how nothing is impossible with You. We marvel at the blessedness that You extend to us if we will believe. And so, Lord, it is our great joy Through the testimony of your spirit, praise and confess. The Lord Jesus has the sweetest name of all, the name above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.